we have Joanne Ozug. Welcome. She is the host of the Road to Carnivore podcast and a self-proclaimed meat evangelist, debunking the plant-based, I guess, health narrative. So welcome to Recommend a Daily Dose. We're happy to have you. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So I, I'll just start off uh, because it seems there's, you know, Coleman is squarely in the team meat camp. I just had a cheeseburger for lunch too. Oh boy. Delicious. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I'll be full disclosure. I am a pescatarian. You know, I'm not a vegan. I'm not even a vegetarian. Uh, I'm a pescatarian, but I am trying to get more plant-based. So for me, it's very intriguing. Uh, and we're just gonna let you start, right? Because there's a lot to talk about, I think. Yeah. So I am a carnivore. A lot of people throw that around like they eat meat and I say, no, I only eat meat. <laughs> um, I do not eat plants of any kind. And just to say right off the bat, I understand where you're coming from because right before I tried carnivore, I, I totally bought into the plant-based health narrative. And most of what I was eating was plants, things like raw vegetables, kale salad, drinking yeah. green juice. I totally believed it. I'm not sure that like there was a lot of disbelief and I was basically for to believe um, initially in a different narrative. And, and now actually there's a tremendous amount of science that points to why um, carnivore is so effective for people and putting all sorts of disease and symptoms and things into remission. Um, but so anyway, when I tried carnivore, it's just on a whim. Um, I had been dealing with some I've, I've kind of had a lot of health issues chronically. Um, but at the time I was dealing with some really severe bleeding, um, from hemorrhoids. It, it was severe to the point where I was supposed to get surgery. I didn't want to, because I was breastfeeding at the time. And it's sort of a long story, but I, I didn't want to go through the anesthesics that would have required me to wean. And, um, the bleeding was so bad though, that it looked like I was menstruating when I was not, it was, it was really painful and severe. And, mm. I could not figure out how to get it under control. I tried everything except for surgery. And I just by chance came across a video on carnivore by someone named Dr. Paul Saladino. And I don't know why the YouTube algorithm showed that to me. Cause I, I just, I thought it was insane and restrictive and I just didn't make sense initially. And after watching this, I was like, this actually, like, this does make sense to me. There, there's sort of an evolutionary argument for it. And I, I felt like I, I was desperate, nothing to lose. I decided to try it within three days. My bleeding was gone and I had been struggling with it for, I mean, upwards of a year and, um, other things like chronic reflux, I've done colonoscopy, taken all sorts of medication for my whole life that went away. Tonsil stones, like gum bleeding was reduced all these curious things. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance happening. And then two weeks in. Um, I fell off the wagon at a birthday party and I had cake and pizza and things. And the bleeding started again immediately. And I decided that day that I was going to do carnivore for a couple of months and the health, I, I couldn't even, <laughs> I didn't even think health like that was possible. Um, and I come from a background where literally my career was developing recipes and I worked in the food industry. Food was my everything, uh, as my emotional attachment as my career and, carnivore has made me change my entire life because it's that compelling. And the last thing I'll add is sure. that with the plant thing is for four years prior to carnivore, I had done, you know, all the things that are grouped with it, like keto, paleo, low carb Atkins. And, um, 
at that point of carnivore, you know, it's having the bleeding and stuff. I already wasn't eating sugar, gluten, kind of any of the seed oils, a lot of the things that people all agree are, you know, probably not healthy. The difference right. for me was literally dropping Brussels sprouts, kale, all the things I thought were so good for me. Hmm. So, um, and you know, now I understand that, you know, we, we, we say these things are healthy, but they're actually full of many, like thousands of compounds that we tolerate to, you know, in different, differing degrees, it depends on what kind of plant it is, but no plant is as well tolerated as meat for human physiology is my experience and, and what the science points to. All right. So obviously there's a lot to digest there. So just for, <laughs> ah, is, is it, is, is, is the, the movement or the process of or the, the, the process of the description of only eating meat is not carnivorism. It's just carnivore. Is that, is that, is that the, uh, just the proper term? I've never heard it uh, said that way. Yeah. You know, just the carnivore diet, I guess carnivore would be diet. the okay, right. proper term. I just say carnivore. And before we even jump in, so you were saying pizza, chips, anything, you know, fine, no fruit, no vegetables, everything comes from animals. Is that so including uh, liquids besides water, I'm assuming, right? But what does that mean? There's absolutely nothing other than, than meat uh, in your diet? Or maybe can you just explain your, your daily routine? Yeah. I think that would be helpful. Like, yeah, exactly. Or what, like a, a sample of what you would normally Like she eat. doesn't drink meat juice for breakfast. Is that what you're asking? <laughs> I, I, I didn't know how to say it, but I was thinking, you know, again, this what is you someone eat? who's predominantly plant-based, um, how to come up with the idea of meat juice. Uh, but Only steak juice. juice. Steak juice. Oh, okay. that sounds good, actually. Yeah, so um, literally just meat, seafood, and eggs. Um, a lot of carnivores have dairy. I don't tolerate dairy, so I don't have it. Um, but technically that would be carnivore. Um, I only drink water. I don't drink coffee or tea. Again, a lot of carnivores, they don't, they don't give that up, but I never really got into coffee. So that was an easy one for me. Um, I usually eat two meals a day. Um, mm. it kind of, when I was transitioning and before I was fat adapted, I would have maybe three or four. I mean, if I was hungry, I, I just ate meat because I needed to have that crutch a little bit with, you know, the, the mental emotional attachment to the, you know, cake or other things that I have always wanted, but, um, aren't good for me. They're very painful. Um, and I guess toward the beginning, I had a lot more variety. There's this notion with carnivore that the longer you do it, the less you care about variety. And I always thought, oh, that won't be true for me. You know, I'm a recipe developer. I love right. tasting all these mm -hmm. things. It's true for me. I just, I love my, my typical, um, daily meal. Let's see, might be grilled burger patties with salt for lunch and then dinner, maybe a couple of eggs and part of a steak or, you know, it's, it's mostly red meat. And something that's been really fun to figure out is that I noticed early on with carnivore that meats like chicken and pork didn't quite give me the same satiety as ruminant animals, like beef, lamb, bison. And there's actually um, I forgot the study it is, it's some crazy name, but there are specific types of fat in ruminant animals that, um, are gut to text for that sense of satiety that is not in chicken and pork, even though I do eat those as well. I think that's a good, um, point too, meaning the amount of times you eat a day, right? So you, if you look at people who eat a lot of carbs, they tend to snack and eat over and over again, because carbs are so addictive. Um, mm -hmm. And I know when I eat a steak, I'm good for probably next eight to 12 hours. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's pretty interesting. I want to, 
I, I want to, where, where do you think we got to this point where plants were good and meat is bad, you know, all else being equal, no, no matter what kind of plant you eat or the volume you eat or, or you think that's an industry thing or a scientific thing that we, that got out of hand? Oh, it's totally like industry and profit. And if, if you just take, you know, a few hours and, and look into some of the history behind food, you will see incredible amounts of um, unethical shenanigans, I'll call them. Um, you know, olive oil is thought to be the healthiest oil. That is the result of a brilliantly carried out marketing campaign. It is not healthier than butter or tallow. Um, I just posted something on Instagram the other day about how in the 1960s, the sugar industry paid off Harvard scientists to, uh, they were basically starting to be um, a lot of studies and scientists who believe that sugar played a role in the heart disease, um, you know, the big rise at that time. And so they, they paid these Harvard scientists to, and they didn't disclose this, by the way, <laughs> they paid them to kind of shift the t attention toward fat and blame fat and kind of discredit some of those studies. Um, there's just so many examples of that, even with different kinds of fat, um, the soybean uh, industry has vilified, you know, competitors like palm oil or different kinds of fats. There's so much it's, it's just riddled with bias. Really? Remember, I think some of the, the doctors in medicine is to blame. We, we pivoted from eating less fat, whether it was good fat or bad fat to eating more sugar and carbs. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, we started with the food pyramid where we had to have a, a vegetable, a starch and a meat. Then we went to all fat is bad. Now we're back to fat is good, carbs are bad. So, just from the science in medicine, uh, I would be extremely concerned for anyone pursuing this diet. I mean, Clint, you started right away. I mean, are, are you worried about someone going into kidney failure? Um, no, but you can still get in kidney failure from plants. What do you say to people who say that, uh, you know, all meat diet is not necessarily healthy? Okay. So first I want to address this cancer thing yeah. as far as I know. And if, if you have something, I would genuinely like to see it. as far as I know, and many other MDs in, in the carnivore space, there is not a single study that shows any sort of danger with regard with, with meat and cancer that isn't observational. Um, there was like the, the who, or some IARC report or something, you know, suggesting that it might be a mild carcinogen. But if you look at the studies that they picked from, and if there are actually any statistical correlations, like it's just, it's baloney. I think there's one that was done. And if you look into the details of it, it was a seventh day Adventist community and they are very like openly They don't even try to hide it. They are against consumption of meat, not just by members in their church, but for everyone. And they do a lot of um, they take a lot of action to push their vegetarianism like onto the world and into dietary guidelines. They've had a huge influence on dietary guidelines from very early on. Um, and I think aside from the fact that as I, as I said, I don't, I don't think there's any single study that shows that in a non epidemiological observational way, but humans ate only almost exclusively fatty meat for 2 million years and, and little else, like virtually nothing else. It doesn't make sense to me that this food that made our brains grow at huge rates, shortened our colons over time. 
kind of shaped us into this apex predator, shaped us into the humans we are today. It doesn't make sense that that would be causing cancer, all these kinds of diseases that are really modern diseases that the levels of, um, obesity, like diabetes, autoimmune diseases, all these things are very modern, unprecedented rates of disease. And even a hundred years ago, most of like the American diet, like it, it was very heavy on animal foods. You know, a lot of it was dairy, eggs, meat, the, the plant-based focus is very new. When you look at the historical timeline of what humans have been eating. And I agree with you. I would argue that uh, one hundred years ago, the average lifespan of a human was 55. And so most diseases, as we get older, cancers is a disease that we get over time. So I've heard this idea that we evolved through eating meat and that's what made our brains bigger. There's a lot of studies have shown us actually the socialization of, of, of getting together, going for a hunt that actually developed our brains and not so much the idea of meat, but one could also argue that we don't live like that anymore, right? So just because we evolved a certain way, we are not hunter gatherers. We are not running around the forest and, and, and spending most of our time in a caloric deficient state where any, any input, any food, and you're absolutely right, predominantly meat would uh, suffice. So how do we take that in our modern world? Yeah, I mean, you said we're not hunter gatherers, but it, we, we also kind of are. Our bodies are ancient. It takes, you know, on the order of, tens of thousands of years for our genomes, like to change in a drastic way. And so I think, yes, we live in this modern world, but a lot of these foods, the substances we're eating are extremely modern. I mean, I, you know, wheat is an example where, um, the modern wheat today contains novel compounds that didn't exist 50 years ago. And what's so interesting is people, initially scientists believed, you know, there must've always been these rates, this rate of celiac disease, and it just wasn't mm -hmm. diagnosed or we didn't know, but they found the contract contrary, where there are actually skyrocketing rates of celiac disease from these new compounds. This, this idea that you take two, you know, quote unquote, safe plants and breed them. And, you know, whatever comes from it must also be safe is actually not true in practice. There are different compounds that are created. And just as a fundamental fact about plants versus meat, you know, plants don't want to be eaten. They are living organisms that want to reproduce and thrive just like us and animals on this planet. And they, because they're stuck in the ground, they can't claw your face off or run away. How they deter, you know, insects, animals, us from eating them is by producing compounds that affect our systems in different ways. And, you know, gluten is such a mainstream, you know, example that that is an example of a compound that we don't tolerate. And they're just our various things like sulforaphane and, and broccoli, for instance, it's, it doesn't get formed until like, you know, a deer or something comes along and eats it. Um, and there are so many different, like, you know, soy affects the reproductive system. There's all sorts of different compounds that affect our bodies in different ways. And even in medicine, like historically, you know, things like aspirin or like things that lower or, or raise our body temperature, we have figured out what these different compounds do. And we use them when we need to, like, if you have a fever, you want to bring your temperature down. Um, but you know, that, that, that compound wasn't produced by the plant to help us out with a fever. It's trying to mess up our temperature regulation or, or it does do that for some reason. Um, so yeah, I just, I think sometimes I, the, the whole caveman thing, it's, it's, we live in modern and you know, like modern life and it is different, but our bodies there still is an ancient quality to them. These things that 
we're eating now that, that we weren't a hundred years ago, that we don't just adapt to it all of a sudden. And I think the rates of disease and obesity and unhealth really reflect that. What about some of the notion that, um, you know, plants have more nutrients than, than meat. And the reason why the beef that we eat is nutritious is because it ate the plant. You know, there's some thinking of bioavailability and how, you know, the reason why we absorb more nutrients through meats is because, you know, the, the cow who's probably better equipped to digest the grass did a better job than that. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Plant foods are nowhere near as, um, nutrient dense as any animal product. I remember I used to like, even in my food career, I'd be like, Oh, you know, a half cup of carrots is a hundred percent of your daily vitamin A. No, it doesn't. You, you convert 3% of it. Like it's not, it's not the same, you know, operating system, quote unquote, as, as, um, animal foods, we have to convert it. And the conversion rate is extremely poor. Um, it, it was kind of, I had to work through that in my brain a little bit because I'd been so, I felt like brainwashed into thinking that I needed to eat, you know, turmeric and chia seeds and acai bowls and all these, all these things to get nutrients when you can get all the nutrients you need from meat. And there are actually, you know, many, um, vitamins and things that you can only get from animal products that you won't get in, you know, a vegan diet. So for instance, what, uh, because let, let's say in the, uh, my family's from India, we, we represent the largest, uh, percentage of a country that's vegetarian in the world, we're also 1.2 billion souls. So clearly through time, a vegetarian diet has been prolific in the ability to spread, you know, our people across the planet. So what are we missing in all the thousands of years of vegetarianism um, from not eating from about 80% of the population that attributes to themselves to being vegetarian? And what are we missing? Yeah, I, I'm, I don't, I won't necessarily say that vegetarianism is bad. I mean, there's still animal products of some sort. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a lot of dairy, um, in Indian cooking, man, I'm not, that is true. Yes, there is dairy, but I think there's a difference between vegetarianism and veganism. Sure. And I think that, you know, even the tolerance of plants. So for example, we can talk about all this stuff all day, but what I love about something like changing your diet is you can actually see the response for yourself. And for example, in the, in the carnivore industry, there's been a little bit of back and forth and some argument over whether fruit is a good thing to include because it's, it's on the spectrum of toxicity for plants. It's, it's lower in toxins. And there was a time when I was like, you know, maybe I should try introducing a little bit of fruit. And I had an apple and I was buckled over in pain the rest of the day from the gas. I had acid reflux and it was horrible. And I just thought, why would I eat this? And I think that some people, maybe they can tolerate some of these things. And I think something I was, I was talking to someone about this recently that it's crazy for, for all my life. One of the problems I had was severe gum bleeding, major bone loss and like gum recession. Um, and I'd have to get these like scalings, like mm -hmm. it would take an hour to do each quadrant of my mouth and it's expensive and painful. And I didn't understand because I was doing all the medicated mouthwashes and like, I'm very type a <laughs> with my dental hygiene could never do anything about it. And when I went into the dentist to get my gum pockets measured after a few months of carnivore, everything had improved. There was no bleeding. She said the gum, the old disease gum tissue she'd seen, like it, it 
rolled away, um, pockets improved. And, you know, there was a time when I had a few tablespoons of tomato sauce, or even if I have like chocolate or various things, my gums throb in pain when I do so it's, it is excruciating. I basically have to take the rest of the day off. And, you know, I didn't notice that before because I was just used to gum pain and bleeding all the time. And I think people might think they're thriving on, you know, a vegetarian diet. I'm not going to say that's for everyone to decide for themselves, right. but, um, is it, you, is it possible yes, that we're all, we're all on the same team? And I guess the, the villain is actually probably processed foods and complex carbs. Cause I think, you know, I've had patients who go on a pure vegan diet, lose weight, feel better. I've also had patients go on an all meat diet, feel better, lose weight. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we may be fighting each other unnecessarily. You know um, what though? I agree that with that, but I think for, for a long time, I latched onto the idea, well, maybe it's just about having real fruit food from scratch. But the right. difference for me was literally like the produce section. I would buy Brussels sprouts and green beans and salads. And, and that was the difference for me is those plants. So, and everyone kind of regards those as healthy. Um, so yeah, for me, or maybe, it wasn't... or maybe everyone doesn't fit into the cookie cutter, you know, well-balanced. Some people just need all meat for their nutrition requirements. Some people need all vegetarian vegetables for their nutrition requirements. What, what are your thoughts about the argument that, um, it's, uh, morally, bad to to kill animals for our our, our benefit because you know i i consider us to be predators and that mm -hmm. uh you know you're not telling the lion hunting the gazelle don't eat the gazelle just eat a you know impossible burger or or some uh some vegetables right so yeah i mean yeah yeah, yeah so i think that Ultimately, that's something everyone has to decide for themselves. I mean, right. I understand if that's someone's personal choice, but I think the fact of the matter is that death is a part of life on earth. It's just, it is. And there are animals eating other animals. It's just how it works. And I think when there, there's sort of this, um, like notion with carnivores, like vegans only care about the cute animals because there are many instances with environmental things and, um, you know, growing, clearing lots of land for like almond milk or whatever, these plant-based things, there's, there's a greater loss of life. You know, something like a cow can feed one person for, I think it's like one and a half cows per year. I forgot exactly. If, you, if a carnivore is eating one and a half to two pounds of meat and a cow is like 800 pounds, like it's, I've looked for months. And I have a podcast episode on it. I needed to look at the environmental piece. I needed to think about the ethical piece. I've went, right. I've went through all that. Um, and for me, like, yes, I value life, but I sort of made peace with all of that. And I understand if someone feels differently, but I think so few people have actually looked at that in like a full picture kind of way. And I've had even like vegans, write me, um, and say basically that all the stuff that they learned in those documentaries are actually not true. And, you know, again, everyone can decide, but I think so people, so few people have actually done a full, uh, like exploration of the research. Right. But how does the, the pescatarian feel about the industrialization of, you know, fishing and, you know, killing 
thousands, hundreds of thousands of fish at a time for, for your, your fish sandwich? Well, obviously, as you can imagine, it's a complex issue, right? So in India, which is predominantly Hindu, Hindu, the cow is sacred. and It's considered abomination of over a billion right. people even consider eating a cow. And then I, I'm not a vegan. So I drink milk, I eat cheese and, and I eat fish, right? So uh, someone that's vegan will say, well, you're just as bad, you know? So there's that morality issue, which I agree is a personalized issue. And um, the joke about veganism is like, you know, someone's vegan, they want you to know about it. So I, I am not vegan. I'm not even, and I'm not even trying to put my uh, ideas on other people. But if we take that idea and that's like a cultural idea, I guess that that's not how a lot of the rest of the world is. Um, but if you look at the environmental avenue i am very big into climate change and and what humans are doing is it really sustainable to think that we can live on a meat-based diet keep clearing right all these animals need to eat so you keep clearing uh the rainforest you know a lot of these cows come from brazil and other places Drive is, gas it really is it really sustainable i mean even um uh farmed seafood you're right you know doesn't taste the same is, is it ethical you know someone might say well they're lower brain species they don't have a cerebellum they don't have higher order thinking um, you know, if you look at higher order animals, they very clearly feel pain. If you've ever been to a, um, uh, uh, you know, and seen the animals right before the slaughtered, it, it's, it's, it's terrifying. And again, you can take, that's all emotion. So when we, we dealt with the science and, and I think you'll agree that anywhere in food science, the science is very poor, right? So one of my roles uh, that I, I fit is, you know, the medical director of our research institute. So I'm well aware of clinical research, randomized clinical trials, and well aware of how poor the quality of science has been for a long time in food science. And I don't know if anyone's going to do a randomized clinical trial of people who eat meat versus people and, you know, clinic blinded, you eat meat, you don't and see what happens, right? They're all either observational or retrospective or chart reviews or what have you. So I agree the science it has a long way to go uh, in, 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 the, in, in the food industry anyway. But if we just now go towards the morality, and that's very personal, so fine. What about something more objective? Is, is this really sustainable for the planet? As we have now six and a half billion souls continue to go on. Can we really expect? Um, and now I know you mentioned 800 pounds of meat from one cow. I'm not 100% sure that, and I'll admit I have to look, but my understanding is that if you look at meat versus plant-based, um, an economy of scale, you're much more efficient feeding humans um, with a plant-based diet. And it's really not sustainable to think that we can all eat meat um, both from a, a environmental point of view, a byproducts with climate change, um, and just really running out of space. So, I mean, that's kind of the way I look at it, right? There's three things. There's the science, there's the morality, culture, which is very objective or subjective, but then the more objective issues. And so I still circle back and I very rarely uh, agree with anything the guy at the bottom of our screen has to say, <laughs> but he did mention balance and non-process. And I think at least to me, a lot of people who, who uh, I've come across who uh, advocate a high meat diet will still say, you know, whatever you're eating is unprocessed um, and still have a balance between uh, uh, healthy vegetables and fruits and meat. So sort of the idea of a 100% of a, uh, of a carnivore diet is very unique um, and very new to us. Um, I think time will have to tell. I, I, I don't know that it has to be an us versus them mentality. What I've seen on social media, which I try to stay off as much as possible, but you get sucked in, right? Very much, you know, one camp being the drama and the other camp being the drama. And I've always believed there must be a happy medium, right? So even as a physician and not as a physician, just in general. So I think we have to look where the science takes us. Um, 
What about you, Clinton? What are your thoughts? I mean, you know, uh, she's very. I'm wondering very, why you're waving waving that pen around like you're taking notes or something. Ah, uh, I was. Taking, well, you know, I'm doing two things at once. I'm answering pages from the ER and talking to you, both of you. The you're same walking person. and chewing me. That's that is how talented I am. That is how talented. I am. But I mean, I just. Well, I think to... I just I find it odd that we've we've vilified one food group and praised the other one without any. Um, like why? Why isn't it just as weird to eat all plants as it is to eat all meat? You know, like I, just, I just think that's weird. So well, no, and and, and I and and I've done the vegan for for weeks and months, and you know, it's I I felt different. I, I don't know how to say better. My my digestive system changed. I don't know for the better or the worse, but I'm you also, still look the same. You still look pretty washed up. But I don't that to me that's you know physically that's not sustainable. Like I I think I think balance is key. I think yes. we really have to rethink how we view food and who's saying, you know, what's good, what's bad. And I think it has to be an individual thing. But I, you know, I, I take, I take, um, take offense to you saying that, that, you know, meat is bad and, you, and you're driving, See, I, I, you know, you're driving a gas car, you use propane in your house. You overindulge in things that hurt the environment. You use hairspray for your hair. Uh, not really anymore. Bad. No, I've never yeah. said it's bad. I think if you look at the blue zones in the world, the areas of the world where people live the longest, so parts of uh, Sicily, parts of the Mediterranean, uh, parts of, off the coast of Japan, it has always been the Mediterranean diet that comes back. And so, uh, Joanne, I know you have uh, you know experience uh, uh, um, you know with food, and even before. I mean, I, I'd be interested to know what are your thoughts on, on, on the Mediterranean diet, which I'd always thought was very reasonable. You know, lean cuts of meat, uh, fish, but also lots of healthy uh, legumes and fruit, you know, oil. Now you're saying olive oil is not as good as we think it might be. But yeah. so would you say that the Mediterranean diet is really not all it's cracked up to be? Because I'd always kind of, I don't do a primary care. I, I, I kind of specialize in my own specialities. But thank God. I, if patients <laughs> ask me, I've always kind of advocated the Mediterranean diet as a way of balance. Um, That's all nonsense. Nonsense. The blue zoo and the Mediterranean stuff is nonsense. If you actually go and look at the details of the study, like there, there's so many factors in it that, that like what they're concluding is, is not reasonable from like the, the data they're gathering. I mean, I forgot one of them. They did it during Lent when they weren't eating as much meat. Like it just, it, I cannot summarize it concisely. I can send you things, but if you look into it, there, there are so many reasons why it's not compelling sound science, at least to me. And I think just to, to loop back around to what you're saying about the environmental piece, yeah, I feel, and I, and I totally recognize I'm every bit of research I do. I try to look for that, that there there's bias in everything, but even taking that into account, I feel that my environmental footprint from my food eating meat is far better than what I was doing before with the plants. And there are so many ways where animals are essential environmentally for the land. And a lot of the plant agriculture is decimating the land. I forgot there was a U, a UN, basically all of the arable topsoil will be gone in 60 years if things continue at this rate. And there are so many ways that that plant um, base food and farming is destroying the earth. And it's not to say that everything about producing animals is perfect. There's a lot of problems with it too. And I think we've seen good progress and that it should be made in terms of doing more grass fed or just better ways of raising animals. But 
I think a lot of people think, you know, meat is bad for the environment, environment plants are good. And that's just totally, totally a false takeaway from what reality is. Um, and even things, you know, you said like the idea that there's not enough room for the animals. They take up too much land. They take too much water. All of those things I've looked at and addressed and they are false. Um, I think that meat, it's so interesting how meat and like beef, they're so scapegoated and there's such a tiny piece of like the total environmental impact. There's, it's so much more from transportation and industry and things. And for some reason there seems to be a very, it's like largely focused on animals. And I just think it's first of all, not accurate. And it's very curious. And a lot of that Would is you focused- say that, I know the EPA and the WHO and even the FDA have all said that approximately 25, and I know even climate change science, uh, depending where you are in the political spectrum is very controversial, but they would say about 25% of all greenhouse gases come from uh, uh, the methane produced uh, by cows on the, on the earth. Um, would you say that's then false or would you say that's not significant? I would like to see where that number comes from because sure. it's lower from what I've seen. And the other thing about the whole methane argument is that there's something called the biogenic carbon cycle with cattle, where it's the same methane molecules cycled in this 12 year cycle back and forth in the soil and back around. Whereas when we are, you know, doing this fossil production, we are getting new, we are releasing new methane from the ground mm. into the atmosphere. It's different. It's not, it's not all, I mean, it's, yes, it's all chemically the same methane, but, um, it really is two different things. Um, so, and, and there's so many studies I linked to it in, in my environmental episode where, um, there's more cattle and the methane doesn't necessarily increase. Um, there's a lot of contradictory stuff there. I don't think that's, is know. there any, is there any like chronic illnesses? I mean, gout comes to mind where the, you, the carnivore, uh, lifestyle or diet would not be recommended. No, I, 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 I've heard people, people have asked me about the gout and I just, you look at where that comes from and it doesn't seem sound to me. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but, um, usually a high purine diet. So yeah. So it's organ uh, meat, specifically alcohol, or I mean, they, they call it the, 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 the shellfish thing. alcohol, but it's also, you know, people who have underlying kidney disease as well. So, yeah, so I would uh, say, Clint, you, would you be comfortable in a patient who has stage two to stage five kidney disease on a carnivore diet? It depends on the protein allotment. So I think we can't just lump everything into uh, so if they're eating calories, eggs, so. you'll be okay with eating. Yeah. Product. Yeah. As long as you stay under your 1.2 grams per kilogram protein per, per day. Um, I think that's fine, but it, it, that's not, there's nothing special about meat protein as compared to different types of protein. So, you know, I, I think it's important to eat more fat because I, I, I really like the, the, the ketogenic diet, more fats, um, more proteins, less carbs. And I, that shows as far as reduction in, in heart disease and diabetes and high blood pressure, but no, there are some, so yeah, someone has gout, I would say, you know, eat less purines, eat less, uh, you know, specific, these types of foods, but also for people who have kidney stones, you want to eat less oxalate. So, right. um, you mentioned plant toxins. I don't know if oxalate was one of them you were referring yeah. to, but yeah. you know, when I give people the list of foods to avoid with kidney stones, you know, it's, it's the spinach, rhubarb, chocolate, nuts. It's, you know, it's something you think is healthy. So when I actually give those patients that list, they're like, 
you know, these foods are healthy. Why can you tell me not to eat it? Because some of them are too much of it's toxic. So I think it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's balanced. It's both sides. Take that woke vegan mob. I think again, again, you're coming at me. I, I, I'm, you're saying woke, balance. Woke, uh, we're talking about it, vegan, or we're talking about an all meat diet where I'm telling you I'm neither one. So how is that? The- I, I still want to know, and you, you keep advocating balance. So explain to me how, for you, how is a, how is a carnivore diet balanced? Yeah. How does that represent balance to you? No, I'm not. No, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm against um, vilifying vegan, vilifying vegetarian, vilifying meat. I think, you know, your diet should be specific to your, your needs. So um, if you have digestive issues, you should avoid gluten. Like gluten is healthy to the next person. Right. Or if you, you know, if you have digestive issues with, with plants, which is very common, you know, you need to eat less of them, but and I practically for me, I don't think I can get away with eating meat 24. I would love to, but you know, logistically it may be hard for me. Can you um, drink alcohol? So, you know, Clinton likes his, I drink alcohol and, every day and his malt liquor. So can you have liquor, like, wow. can you have, um, fermented meat juice? Is that, is that what you would get? <laughs> get us Okay. So I just, I just want to say about the disease thing, Yeah. like you're talking about, Oh, what diseases might come from carnivore. I haven't heard of anything, but what I have heard very strongly, or that would be a red flag that maybe this diet is not for you. You know, if there's a certain underlying besides a metabolic disorder, you know, you can't uh, metabolize certain proteins or things in meat. Um, Are there any, I'm thinking because gout for one is what comes to mind very clearly. And then also chronic kidney disease, if you're eating too much, uh, protein from red meat, but are there any other, and I, I was really thinking out loud, are there any specific diseases that one would want to consider before can saying, Hey, I want to pursue this, uh, as we, my own personal, uh, uh, dietary lifestyle. Listen, if we as doctors can't really think of it as the top of our heads, I think that answers the question probably itself. Oh, would you say someone having a heart disease with, with underlying uh, dyslipidemia or metabolic, you know, underlying metabolic syndrome? Um, that would, yeah. I, for me, that wouldn't be my first choice. I would say reduce your carbohydrates. Right. Well, see, here's the thing though, is that what is incredible on the flip side is the incredible list of diseases that carnivore puts into remission or like vastly improves like diabetes, for example, virtually everyone can go off diabetes medication with that kind of diet, like a ketogenic, like some sort of low carb diet, autoimmune diseases, people reversed osteopenia, um, fertility issues, PCOS. Is, that, is that because of the meat or lack of, or staying away from the car? I guess that's the, and or sugar for that matter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, autoimmune seems to be more related to the plant compounds. People, people don't tolerate a lot of those gut issues, whereas something like diabetes, that's more about the lack of carbs. It's, it's, it's a variety of things, but I kind of love that about meat because it kills so many birds with one stone. You get that nutrient density. You don't have those plant toxins and it's very, it's, I mean, there are no carbs in meat. So I just think, I think it's fascinating to hear a different side of the story. It's refreshing. I want to have a steak tonight. <laughs> you should do that. It's do you snack you. on like beef jerky or no? That's, you, that's processed. Or, all right. So do you eat processed meats too, or more? It's like fresh. Um, Rarely. I prefer fresh meat. I'm not, I'm not against that. I ate more of that in the beginning when I needed the variety. I just don't really care anymore. I mean, even bacon, it's like sacrilege to say, but I'd rather have a burger or steak. I like bacon, but it's kind of lost its appeal a little bit. I think we need to get back to our roots. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Apex predators that we are. So <laughs> can't forget where we came from. I mean, we live in these modern times and they're amazing. I wouldn't read it any other in history, but I think that there's a lot of aspects of modern life, not just food that should be questioned a little bit more because yeah. how we, we handle it, how we tolerate it is questionable. It was fascinating. Fascinating. Well, we, we has, has, really... Have we changed your mind? Has team meat changed your mind? <laughs> we have not, but again, I always keep an open mind. So is my mind, but I have other cultural, religious, All right. oh, we, uh, chicken, a woke, pork, well, you might say a woke, but other reasons, you know, not to change my mind, but um, have I real, do I, do I think that if you're a vegetarian and eating a lot of carbs, like they do in lots of, of Southeast Asia, is, is that, is that uh, the right way to go? No, I'm well aware of the high incidence of cardiovascular disease in Southeast Asia, certainly probably related to the availability of rice, high incidence of diabetes and things like that. So, you know, again, that's why I've always kind of gone the other way towards the Mediterranean diet. But again, uh, I think, I think what we can all agree on is that these data and the science within the food industry has been very poor. And so, you know, the hope is that going forward, there can be more quality blinded randomized clinical trials to really to understand and not have any political or big sugar or big anyone else, uh, any big blank, whatever you want, you know, kind of influencing the results or influencing the market. So. And I think this uh, topic is so complex and nuanced. So um, I want to shout out your podcast, you know, the fat one, I think was really interesting how, you know, we, we got away from animal fats and mm. my wife still thinks butter is bad. And I think butter is good, but we're drinking coconut, not drinking, but we're cooking with coconut and avocado oil and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, those topics are, I, I guess, require a lot of attention and, and unpacking. So, you know, we'll have you on in the future to, to maybe uh, expound on a lot of those things and also trying to convince my knucklehead friend over here that... Uh, <laughs> At no, least listen, the dialogue is healthy. I'm never against dialogue, you know, so it's great. But tell us what, where, where can people find you? Yeah. So my podcast, the road to carnivore is virtually on every podcast platform, mm-hmm. iTunes, Spotify, all that. I'm also on Instagram at the road to carnivore. And that's, that's pretty much it. I got a website, but um, mostly just on those two platforms and um, it's all free. There's no sponsors ads and not being paid by anyone. It's just my, my true thoughts and the research that I've done in my experience. So you're basically documenting your journey along this. So we appreciate that. We appreciate the the new insight, you know, your honesty, which we appreciate very much. Can I read an ad? Is that okay? Yeah. I was supposed to read an ad. Oh, you are? Yeah. So this episode <laughs> is brought to you by Nexium 24-Hour. When frequent heartburn strikes, I advise my patients to opt for a proactive treatment like Nexium 24-Hour to minimize those symptoms. Is, are you serious or this is a joke? It's a 14-day regimen, and just one <laughs> pill provides all day and all night relief by blocking if you know acid this, production. But... Excuse me, by blocking yes. acid production directly at the source. We're getting paid for this, by the way. I see. So you can treat frequent heartburn before it gets enjoying gets in the way of enjoying your life. For more information, go to Nexium24Hour.com. I don't know if you know this, but Clinton Coleman is now Dr. Coleman is now the spokesperson uh, for Nexium. It's uh, what do you are you in any magazines? Are you let, let's see it. Oh my God. But where's your picture? Are you in, what, what is that? Champagne. She's telling us that if you go all carnivore, you won't have GERD anyway. You won't need the need for these PIs and H2 blockers. So maybe you should try thinking. Yeah. Get rid of the thing causing the acid reflux instead of trying to cover it up, putting a bandaid on it. 
his issue is actually too much chocolate and late night eating. So that that's really what his words coming from. So that's your nickname, chocolate, isn't it? We're trying to rectify. So I just last question before we sign off is no sugar allowed at all. So there's absolutely no kind of desserts or sweets. Um, in England, they would have like meat cakes, or I forget what they're called, but I mean, or sweet cakes or sweet meats, maybe. Is that, is that, is any of that allowed? Sweet meat, I mean, sweet meat is your nickname. Sweet, that was my nickname in college, along with brown sugar. That's correct. I freely gave all those things up. Yeah. It's really just entertainment for your brain and your mouth. And, uh, you know, one of the things with food that I realize is, and I think a lot of people do this, we use food to, as an instant out for emotions, for feeling things, for stress. Sure. There's so many ways that people use food, just like they use alcohol or other drugs. Um, and so, you know, dessert, again, it's a free choice, but for example, this past Christmas, I realized afterward that I don't want to eat Christmas cookies anymore, even for the nostalgia with my kids. It just, it's, yeah. it was so painful. And it's something that I understand the purpose of dessert. I'm not going to say other people shouldn't do that, but when your two options are the health I get from carnivore. And having these few, few moments of pleasure followed by acid reflux and hot flashes throughout the night and all this stuff, it just, it's not compelling anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I don't, I don't eat any of those things. No, that's excellent. I'm actually uh, giving it up myself. So um, during COVID time, there was a little bit too much of that available in the hospital. We were like all stress eating it was very hectic for the last year and a half. And then um, I actually personally feel better. So I, I will agree with you with that one. I think sugar yeah. is you're less unnecessary you're less. and it's a teasing of the mouth and the body and the mind, very temporal, very short lasting. And then you feel guilty. So I mean, stress uh, eating, it, what is that? That's when your body has a need. And instead of actually addressing that need, you use food to obliterate those emotions. I mean, that's, yeah. that's not really self-care, you know, yeah. it's counterproductive in so many ways. Well, we want to thank you very much for coming on today. You know, I was, uh, when I was a pro, when uh, Clinton had told me that you were coming on, I was like, wow, this is very interesting. I know it, it's not necessarily what lines up with my, uh, with my thought process, but, you know, we're always looking for dialogue. We're always looking for new ideas. And, uh, really, you know, you certainly brought something that all of us are going to take a moment to ponder. So I really appreciate um, your candor, your honesty, your obviously knowledge. Uh, you're very knowledgeable and very well read. So I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Yes, this is awesome. And I'm always, you know, I understand where you're coming from because a few years ago, I would have thought this was all crazy. So that's really how I approach my podcast is I get why people think it's insane. I did too. <laughs> Until, you know, I really started having that cognitive dissonance and just couldn't ignore sure. what a profound impact it had on my life. So yeah, thanks for the conversation. No, thank you. And we hope our listeners out there uh, will, uh, Take a listen to her podcast. In the meantime, this is Dr. Serge Slugger and my illustrious co-host slash Nexium superstar, Dr. Clinton Coleman. Uh, recommend Daily Dose. Find us on Spotify and everywhere else that you usually look for us. Until next time, be well. Bye.